What is up, plant people? Today is Tuesday, September 1st, which doesn't even seem remotely possible that it's already September, but it's September 1st, and we are back for another episode of the Plantropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and ambitions, and passions of some really cool plant and nature people, and try to figure out what keeps them coming back for more and why they do what they do. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and as always, I am so excited to be with you today. Do you like cows? Do you? I know you do. You have to like cows. Cows are awesome. How about cow burps and cow farts and the cows things eat that- and do and walk around? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Also, prairies and fairies and prairie fairies and everything in between. Don't know what that means. That's okay. Stick around a little bit and you will figure it out. A couple of things first. Uh... Thanks so much to everyone that's been rating and reviewing the show. I really appreciate it. Um, If you have a couple of minutes and want to rate and review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts or CastBox, and CastBox, by the way, is the player that I normally use, and I'm listed as an indie pick on the CastBox platform. So go support them, uh, but go leave a review wherever you can and a rating, and it really helps out, helps me know that I'm on the right track and doing the right thing things. And uh, it also helps keep us up in the ratings and gives us a little more visibility and all of those fun things. So I would much appreciate that. You know, for a little while, I'd been doing a really good job of remembering to put trailers and stuff for different shows at the end of the episodes. And then I'm a big dum-dum, uh, cotton-headed ninny muggins. <gasps> What did he just say? Cotton-headed ninny muggins? Oh my goodness. Anyway, uh, I'm a big dummy, and so I keep forgetting to do it. But today, I've got two for you. The first one is for a really great show, uh, also a fellow plant show called Plants and Pipettes, or Plants and Pipettes, as they say. I probably butchered both Yoram and Tegan's accent, so I'm really sorry for that. I'm a dumb American. I can't help it. That's what we do. I'm so sorry. Uh, but it's a great show that really dives into some of the science of plants and botany and everything that goes into that. And the other one is a new show by One R. Pagan, who is a planarian. Wait, no, he himself is not a planarian. He is a planarian scientist. He studies worms and science. He's a great biological scientist. Uh, but he's got a cool show called The Bald Scientist Podcast, which is just launched and it's a lot of fun and i i guarantee that you will love it he's just a wonderfully uh charming and lovely human so you need to listen to both of those shows again stick around at the end after the outro or credits or whatever you want to call it and make sure you listen to those two trailers and go check out their shows the links will be in the bio also again i want to mention our podcast partners, our podners, uh, the first of which is Pecan Ridge, which is a local company here in the Lubbock, USA, and uh, even if you live somewhere else and you like pecans and you like candy and fun and joy and sunshine and puppies, go hit them up at pecanridge.com. Use the promo code plantpeople, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout and get 10% off your order. The other one, also a local Lubbock business, literally is local LBK, localLBK.com. It has a great uh, affiliate program where you can go to a number of businesses, restaurants, uh, movie theaters, really anything and everything 
that has to do with a business here in Lubbock, get great discounts, get great deals, uh, and support the local economy here in Lubbock, America. So this may be more for my Lubbock listeners or Texas listeners that come through sometimes, but for just five bucks a month, you get a membership for this great organization, and a dollar of that goes back into local businesses and the local community. So localobk.com. Um, I'll have a link in the in the show notes that you can use and um, go and sign up and get discounts on stuff. Uh, I'm probably forgetting something, but it's already been about five minutes, so I'm going to stop yammering at you and jump into the episode. So today's guest is Dr. Kat Radicky, who is a friend of mine that I went to grad school with. Um, just recently during my, I'm still kind of in grad school. I don't know what I'm saying, but she just finished her PhD. Um, she is a wonderful rangeland and uh, prairie scientist, uh, sometimes known as the Prairie Fairy. Uh, more on that later, but uh, she's smart and charming and funny and wonderful. And I think you're really going to enjoy this fun conversation about everything from soil microorganisms to designing headgear for cows and diapers for cows and all kinds of other fun stuff. So buckle up, grab a beverage, uh, hopefully a locally roasted caffeinated bean-based beverage or really whatever you want and uh, get ready for episode 26 of the Planthropology Podcast with Dr. Kat Radicky. All right. Well, we are up and running, and I'm here with Kat Radicky today, uh, who is a newly minted Doctor Radicky. So, congr- I'll start off and say congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> how How does that feel? Um, I sometimes forget. What <laughs> like you just block it out. For- I just keep forgetting that it's a that it's a thing. <laughs> Does it like surprise? Do people call you Dr. Radicky and like, does that surprise you sometimes? Um, the only people who have called me Dr. Radicky so far were everybody on the congratulations email with Dr. Wes mm-hmm. and um, in my interview last week. But that was the first time people have called me doctor. Okay. Most everybody refuses to acknowledge it. <laughs> oh. Well, in my life, at least. <laughs> oh yeah, my, no, yeah, no. My fiance is like never, never Not gonna call it. you. Yeah, no, so. that's funny. I, uh, I I tried to get my, or I, I told my brother I was gonna make him call me doctor, and he just looked at me like, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, no. That's gonna I mean, happen. My brother in law and I have a very love hate relationship. So when we were in Colorado last week, it was well, I don't know. You have a doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> it was like over. Let's yeah. pick what restaurant we want to eat. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so he does those things quite oh, no. often. I mean, he's in my dissertation, in my acknowledgments, in parentheses, in my thank yous, as I guess TJ. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, and it's copyrighted, so those that... words will forever be there. <laughs> That's really amazing, actually. You know, what good is a uh, dissertation if you can't be a little snarky in it, right? 
yeah, and I was I was snarky with TJ in my thank yous during my defense and in my dissertation. So you know, I, I watched your defense and I heard you say that, and like I didn't, you know, obviously didn't know the backstory. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's no, really, that's my that's my brother in law who's quite really the character. Great. So there's a lot of love hate relationship there, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's great. really great. Um, so we'll get into, I think, some of the uh, specifics about kind of what you studied. Do you? What, what was the title of your your project? Um, so basically, it was the inclusion of alfalfa in stalker cattle systems um, and its effect on water footprint. Um, okay. Carbon footprint, I think, was in the title, but it's really more enteric methane emissions and um, then an economic analysis. Okay. There was a lot of data. Lots that of data. Mentioned. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of data. <laughs> Just like, I, I don't even know what all those words mean. And like the, it sounds like a lot of data. It was. It was, uh, there's going to be at least six solid publications coming out of the dissertation. Wow. And there's probably about four more publications worth of data just sitting on my computer that I will probably, it'll take probably a year before I get to, but there's a lot of data. That's amazing. I, uh, that, I mean, that's a, gr- a really productive project then. Like, uh, I, I'm, if I get like two or three, I'm going to be super happy, <laughs> like super like, happy. <laughs> I'm sure that's why I've been sleeping a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch up from the past however many yeah, years. Of, yeah, I've been sleep deprived for a good uh, three years. So Exhaustion, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I understand that. So tell me a little bit about your background. What what got you into um, wanting to study uh, the, the carbon footprint and water footprint and economics of cattle? So what did you study in school, all that kind of stuff? So I've got like this really weird background. Um, I grew up on a ranch, but... I really, when I came to WT, um, the the goal was to be on the horse judging team because I'd been ho- around horses my whole life and I was pre-vet. And so I've got an uncle who is a veterinarian in San Antonio and I'd worked for him for a little while. And so that was really the main goal in life. And that was pretty steady a goal up until probably my junior year. And we were in a surgery and... I mean, I was pretty good in the operating room and we were taking out a tumor off of a femur and I don't know why, but I got sick to my stomach and Uh I had to go to the corner and put my head between my legs. And the particular veterinarian that was doing the operation said that she did the same thing while she was in vet school and she eventually got over it. Except like every time we did something really nasty, we did a necropsy and I nearly like just spewed everywhere. (laughs) I decided, I was like, you know... It's probably best if I just drop down to animal science. So I went ahead, dropped down to animal science. I was never on the horse judging team. I was actually a cheerleader in college. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I cheered in college. I um, I dropped from pre-vet to animal science, graduated in 2014, and went to work in a heifer barn for a few months. And... We were at a show and somebody asked who wants to be the one that breaks down the heifers and I got the short end of the stick. Oh no. And about through the fifth heifer with spray paint everywhere. I was like, you know, as much as I love being a steer jock, <laughs> I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. 
So I contacted my major professor at WT, who before I left told me that if I ever wanted to come into range management and be a prairie fairy to contact him. And so I came back with my tail between my legs um, in 2015, uh, graduated from WT and I, an email popped up from Tim sent me this email and it was Chuck looking for um, somebody who had had grazing experience. And I came and interviewed with Dr. West and he, he gave me um, an offer that day. Um, and that was not my intent when I came. I was going to meet with a few other professors on Tech's campus oh, wow. in, in the range ecology department. Um, and I went ahead and took it. And I kind of got conned into my project. Like it really <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't something that I would, I wanted to do different variable stocking rates and more prairie fairy type of things. And so the agronomy side of it was kind of, um, kind of dumped in front of me and they were like, do with this what you will. Yeah. Kind of just escalated from there really. But a lot of my project was more like handed to me this is what we'd like to do. Can you, can you get it done kind of deal? Sure. And, 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 you know, that's, uh, to those out there listening, that's more common than you may think. Um, because like in some places and in some fields, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm pretty involved in like academic Twitter and I see people post all the time, like, Oh, what should I study? And all this stuff. And I'm like, cool. That's not what my graduate school experience has been like. It's like, here's a project, have fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you do get to, I think, steer it a little bit, but it it's so dependent on funding and like the research directions of your PI and all of that, that in some cases you're kind of, you're kind of set. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so the thing with Dr. West was he gave me the outline of what he wanted, but he really wanted me to kind of fill the holes and so, like on the economics portion of it, he had never really done an economics paper. And um, uh, Dr. McAllister, I was taking a class with her. We had like, I think, two lectures. And then she was like, okay, just, you know, write me a paper and let's see how it goes. And so that chapter was kind of, I created it based off of what I thought would be applicable in a real world situation with mm -hmm. producers. Like, I didn't go in thinking that that was going to be more of an academic based paper, but more of a why do cattle producers in the Texas high plains care. And they ended up really liking it. And so it made it into being a chapter in my dissertation. So that was nice. Okay. That's pretty cool. So I, it was all pretty much dumped on me. I know that, you know, I, we talked that one time about, um, a graduate school experience on uh, one of your posts. And I had said, I have a friend who ran away to the mountains Uh huh. and I wasn't joking. She ran away to the mountains. Wow. She quit her PhD. She, all she lacked was a dissertation. I mean, she qualified everything. I mean, she was done. She had already done the project, taken all of the data and everything. And um, she was so scared to write that dissertation because she had created the project from scratch herself. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just, never finished her PhD. She literally ran away to the mountains and we haven't talked to her since she won't talk to anybody. Yeah. So that's, that, that was the, that's the other end of the graduate school experience. I feel like. <laughs> well, and I think that's important. And, and you know, this is, this podcast has never been like 
anti-academia, but I think it is important for us to be honest about some of these things. Um, Because in some ways, there's so much pressure and there's so much, I, I don't know, there's just such a burden that goes into earning a PhD, any kind of graduate degree. I'm not trying to downplay even the master's experience because that yeah. is, or an undergraduate experience. All of it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but you get to this level and, and I've, I've had conversations with people before and not to be a downer, but like the, the attrition rate at the PhD level is like 50%. Um, and that's people that either quit or, you know, drop down to a master's or, or something else. And variety of reasons, some people get a job offer and they're like, uh, that's the job I want. Yeah. I'm going to go do it. And that's fine, right? Um, some people decide, well, the, my data, my project, whatever, is really more suited for a master's degree. And they go and they get a second master's or a first master's in some cases. But I think there is that that element of this is just too much and I can't and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And you, you get that um, you get that roadblock where you get to a point and you're like, am I smart enough to be considered an expert in this like yeah (laughs) and then that imposter syndrome really sets in and it got me pretty good uh in fact I but I was I've been extremely blessed with both my master's and my PhD committees because um I mean 30 minutes before I went into my qualifying exams Dr. West basically uh, texted to let me know how proud he was of me. Wow. I mean, he just said, don't let that imposter syndrome get you. Like, you know, these answers, there's nothing they can ask that you won't be able to answer. And uh, that was quite the experience because I know there's probably not very many major advisors that would make it a point to, they know, Hey, my student really struggles with imposter syndrome, but, uh, Hey, that was one of that was one of the nicest nicest things I think has ever happened to me. Knowing yeah, that, that I had got to that point where I was like, I'm not smart enough to pass <laughs> this test. No, that's and that's gosh, and and it's it's funny because I'm just you know right now I'm in the finish revisions, get it signed off on and send it to the grad school stage. Right, like there's yeah. just some stuff I'm cleaning up. And even now, even after my defense, even after all of this stuff, I look at, like, I pull up my marked up dissertation and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I going to do this? And I've also had a good experience with uh, uh, Dr. Young, my advisor, who's just been so encouraging and helpful and kind through the whole process. And, um, you know, I read a thread on Twitter earlier today just talking about what an impact um a good mentor and a good advisor has on the graduate school experience in general. And, uh, you know, as a, someone wanting to go forward in academia, um, what are, what are your thoughts on the way that you might one day approach that position? And I didn't prep you for this, but. (laughs) Uh, Well, and this was actually a question that was asked to me last week in my interview. Uh, So I can answer this. Um, when thinking of grad as a mentor to a graduate student, well, let me back up. So I had a mentor as an undergraduate in the department was the only, um, he was my academic advisor. So every, every professor in the department at West Texas A&M is an academic advisor. So we don't have like a Diane Merriman 
holy grail of people. <laughs> um, she is like the most amazing person ever because she oh, does for real. everything for plant soil science. For and, real. Uh, and so we don't have one of those. At, well, we do have a couple of those at WT, but they give a lot of the academic advisory advising on like, you know, a handful of students has to go do everything with a, prof- a particular professor or they did back then. Sure. Um, Cause we had a pretty small ag department back then. And so um, he, I quit Palm squad. He knew I came to be on the horse judging team. I never tried out for horse judging. And then I quit Palm squad like my sophomore year and he got mad at me. Really huh. mad. And uh, I went home and I cried. <laughs> I cried in his office and I went home and cried and he remembers this. He got really mad at me. And, um, I came back and his whole thing was, you're fully capable of doing all of these things. Why are you quitting? And I kept saying, well, there's so much on my plate. I can't do this. I can't do this. I just, I'm second guessing my ability to be able to, you know, graduate and be able to stack all of these things on my plate. And he basically said, look, if you don't, I'm going to be extremely mad at you. And I might be mean to you the rest of your academic (laughs) career. And um, I was really thankful to have somebody kind of talk me off the ledge and like, you know, put me back on my feet and encourage me just as an undergraduate alone. And then, so for my master's, I had an advisor that was really hands off and apparently his graduate school experience was awful. Hmm. And so that kind of, you know, was brought up, you know, he gave me the horror stories of PhD life before I came to Texas tech. And then I got here and my advisor was nothing like those horror stories at all. And so I think like that is, and, and nobody on my committee was really like those horror stories. Uh, I mean, everybody was, I had Dr. Slaughter, Dr. Singh. I mean, those are all people that are, they motivate their students pretty good. Yeah. Even being the smartest people in the room. <laughs> right. And right. So it's, which is, you know, your imposter syndrome setting in and you've got Darius Malinowski, which is this genius hibiscus breeder in Vernon. Mm-hmm. You've got Lindsay Slaughter sitting in your room. You've got Dr. Singh. You've got Darren Henry, who is a genius when it comes to animal science and statistics. And so I've got this whole, and Dr. McAllister and then Dr. West, who yeah. I've been told is like the God of tall fescue. <laughs> he wrote, if you look up any papers oh, on tall that fescue, yeah. he is the, I mean, like he's all over the place. And so I, um, I'm imposter syndrome is setting in and the walls are closing in and I've got the smart, I'm surrounded by the smartest people in the whole world. And they're about to butcher me on questions. <laughs> And my major advisor says, you're one of the smartest people in the room. And I want you to know that. And I want you to keep that kind of confidence. And I don't think I've ever, like, I've, I wasn't expecting that. Because I've been told that in a preliminary exam, you know, your committee's just out to get you. Yeah. There was not a person in that room that was really, not a single one of them. Yeah. Asked a question that I wasn't capable of answering. And it looked like, you know, everybody in the room, I shut down at one point uh-huh. <laughs> and they were very encouraging. Like Dr. Molinowski said, you answered this perfectly in the written, like answer it perfectly, you know, out loud, Come, tell, show everybody what you answered because this is a phenomenal answer. And that was just, I don't know. I hope that as an advisor that I can 
project that onto graduate students in the future. Well, and that's such a good, I think that's such a good goal. And I had, I had a similar experience, uh, um, experience in my prelims where, uh, Dr. Young, my advisor, tossed me like an underhanded right over the plate, you know, slow pitch. And I like swung and missed hard. Like I just totally whiffed it. It was pretty much, it wasn't exactly this, but it was pretty much what's photosynthesis. And like I've studied this for, you know, 12 years at this point. And like I know what the difference between a C3 and a C4 plant is. I know how to photosynthesis works. And my brain was just like, nope. Nope. Uh, and and so like I'm like sweating and I don't get I generally don't get like test anxiety or like you know a per- performance anxiety in that way and it was like your brain was just like no my, my brain was just like no you're done and so it was like uh, I think one of my committee members was even like take a deep breath take a second you're okay let's work through this and so again and and I know this that that this is not everyone's experience I know that there are those situations where. Gosh, they they beat the crap out of you at at one of these exams and and all of that. But I think you know at this institution, uh, at, at the very least, and I think maybe maybe in our field, I don't know, uh, but at least at this institution, we have some high quality, just kind, and I think um, uh, practical and just you know really uh, advisors and and committee members and faculty that really care about the students. And I I've always appreciated that about. Yeah. being a part of this this place yeah and, and it was that way at west texas a m too I, everybody knew each other everybody's super encouraging they were encouraging during my interview last <laughs> week yeah for a faculty member so i mean i i hope to i hope to project that on on at least graduate students and i think i think with the undergraduates um I think that I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty well the same way. Like I like to see undergraduates succeed because plant soul science is so, it really is hard. Like it really does take a lot of memorization of these processes and stuff. And so I get it. Like I get when undergraduates are like, (laughs) I just, (laughs) yeah, they're just like deer in the headlights. Yeah. Especially with some of these concepts at least in range ecology, some of these concepts are like, they're just. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're complex. They're complex, incredibly important ecosystems and and biosystems. And that actually leads me into, I think what I kind of want to talk about for the next little bit is prairies. Let's talk about prairies because you've studied prairies and you've studied foraging. Grasslands. Grasslands. Right. So the first thing I now wrote this. So, if if you didn't notice, and if people out there don't know, I listen for like, okay, what am I going to call this episode the whole time through? And you said prairie fr- prairie fairy pretty early on. I'm like, oh yeah, that's going in the title for sure. Tell me what a prairie fairy is. <laughs> Tim calls me the prairie fairy. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> and, and you know, really, it's more he 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 called me a prairie fairy because so uh, when I was getting my my master's degree with him. So the range ecology department at West Texas A&M is a 20 by 20 office. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it is not a department. It is one man. (laughs) And he is, he is unlike 
any human I have ever met before. I have said, I told him the other day he needed to be on a, he need he needs to start his own podcast is what he needs to do. Yeah. And, um, he is unlike any, he is just so interesting. And, um, so we were frolicking around in a field and we were plant IDing and, um, I can't remember exactly what I did, but I was like, like leaping over stuff. <laughs> and so he kept, he would laugh at me. And so then he turned around and just, he was like, you know, you were the fairiest prairie fairy I've ever seen before in my life. And so that's what started that. I'm, that's- I think on, it was. I think it was grasshoppers. Those big, massive uh-huh. grasshoppers scare me. Uh-huh. They like, sound like helicopters when they fly <laughs> yeah. by you. Yeah. Yes. And uh, there were that was the year, it was 2016, I think, where there was so many grasshoppers uh-huh. that year. And so I was like hitting them like baseball bats <laughs> with a baseball bat. I was like, no, like don't fly in my face. And I was leaping over them. And uh, yeah, he was... He was quite entertained. So that's where we got the Prairie Fairy from. That's so, pretty hilarious. Yeah, I love a that. Range ecology, a range ecologist that frolics through a field, <laughs> apparently. So that's, and again, that, for, but for me, that tells me about how excited you are about, even if you're running from grasshoppers, right? Yeah. Because we've, we've talked about grasslands and prairies before, and I know how much, like, how strongly you feel about them. So uh, this may be... Not an easy question to answer uh, because it's going to be so broad. But is there a way that you could sum up for us why grasslands and prairies are so important? Um, Well, ecologically, the carbon sequestering is probably one of the the biggest things that I think I have – I advocate for um, really all biogeochemical processes uh, are important. And ecologically, I mean, a lot of the world is covered by grasslands. We have a lot of semi-arid, arid arid environments. Um, Some of those more arid environments are more desert regions, but they still, you know, have some bunch grasses here and there, and they're considered... um, they're still considered a, their grasslands are considered a brittle environment. Yeah, and so desert lands are as well. And so, I mean, it's so important for us to preserve our grasslands and to manage our grasslands um, correctly. And so, uh, grasslands are just super important. They're they're important to basically, I think, the foundation of most all life, really. Yeah, and I would I would agree with you, and and. And not that they shouldn't, but like forests tend to get all the press, right? Trees get all the press. And you know I'm a tree guy. I love my yeah. trees, whatever. But when we talk about the prairies of the world, they're producing as much oxygen as all the trees, if not more, sequestering probably more carbon than than a lot the most of the forests on the planet. And and like you say, they serve as the basis for this like vast ecosystem, this vast global ecosystem that um, unfortunately gets ignored a lot. I think we yeah. ignore grasslands and prairies and just, I don't know, put Walmarts on them and, and yeah. stuff like that. And, and wonder why more carbon's being trapped in the atmosphere. I, it's just, it's amazing to me. Like, so forests are wonderful, you know, in their own regard. But if you think about how quick carbon turnover is in a grassland, I mean, right. you've got animals harvesting that carbon, then it photosynthesizes and carbon's being, you know, 
um, carbon's basically being created and, you know, consumed all at the same time. And so, and then those soil microorganisms are utilizing carbon and respiring. And it's just, it's such a complex and yet hard ecosystem to manage. And we manage it like it's easy and think that there's a one size fits all kind of um, I guess, formula for it. And yeah, you know, they're just really, we consider in an ecological succession that forests are at the end of that ecological succession. Mm-hmm. And so they're very stable environments. Um, and so they're, they don't, uh, shifting from one type of um, ecological stable state to another is much harder to do in a forest ecosystem so you'd basically have to burn it down yeah start that ecological um process over and so grasslands are not i mean we can shift a stable state quickly really and degrade things in an instant really and in a matter of years and so i don't know they're just they're so fascinating to me just because they're so dynamic they really are yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and like up here on the the you know high plains and south plains, kind of in this part of the world where we live, um, and I think you almost have to just kind of see it to understand what this part of the world is like. Like you can, we always joke that like you know you can watch your dog run away for two days here. Um, because like 200 and plus miles north to south, it drops off at like a foot per mile. That's the slope, Slope. yeah. which is pretty much not a slope. Right. (laughs) And, and so, you know, if you were to go back 500 years and just stand and look all around you, it would be grassland, like, you know, waist high grass with, you know, maybe some taller, taller plants, the occasional mesquite tree. And that's, you know, brought up from somewhere and um, some Forbes, but pretty much you would see a sea of grass as far as you could look. Yeah. It, but, but it's so complex even in that. And I think um, that is not something I think in our, how do I say this? I'm trying to figure out how the best way to say this is. I think people don't experience grasslands like we experience other ecosystems. And, and what I mean by that is like, we're so urban today in our world that when people think, Oh, I'm going to go get out into nature. They're not going to go stand in an empty field. They're going to the mountains. They're going beach beach. or somewhere that's like, you know, maybe a little more scenic. Yes. Right. (laughs) It's like charismatic. We use the, uh, you know, one of my, uh, I interviewed an animal person a while back and we talked a little bit about like charismatic megafauna, right? Like all the big animals that we think are like super cool. And then we ignore the little guys sometimes. And I feel bad for prairies a little bit because they get ignored. We do. Um, We ignore them quite a bit. (laughs) But, but I think, and again, this sounds kind. Of, I, I, this sounds how it sounds, but like there is a type of like peace and quiet on the prairie uh, in a grassland that you can't get pretty much anywhere else. It's it's unique, and um, the skies are big, and the stars are bright, and it's like it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so just to talk a little bit more about 
your work and kind of just whatever, you know, parts of it you're most excited about that you want to discuss. And and you've talked about some of that already, but um, you know, you you talked about and you studied grazing to a certain extent, right? And like how uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about some of these um, interactions that you looked at between cattle and other animals and the land on which they live? Um, so directly with my project, um, this my PhD work was not um, so range ecology type okay. of work. Um, I was studying um, what we what we would say is an improved pasture, so it's a non-native forage species. Okay, um, and two non-native forage species to this area, so alfalfa and WW beetle, which is from Asia. Mm-hmm. And so, where um, those old world bluestones are from Asia, and so my PhD work was kind of. So there's the range ecology world, there's the agronomists, and then there's forage scientists. And they're like in a whole nother realm of their own. And they are a a special breed of people. They really are. (laughs) And so, I mean, I was the black sheep of the PSS department. And um, and so it was kind of like in between agronomy and range ecology. Okay. And so I was still, I, I was not, dry land i was not on natives which is what my like i love it sometimes like pained me just a little that we were you know still (laughs) irrigating the grasses and adding nitrogen fertilizer to the system and all of those kinds of things but i mean um that's kind of how you manage a forage system when you're haying and grazing with stalker cattle and so um really i think the biggest aim of the study was and I kind of had to come to terms with this is that, you know, we're, I think that it's like in our department and maybe not just our department, but really with Texas Alliance for water conservation, that small little office, I think everybody's dissertation and theses has, has started with this sentence. We are depleting the Oglala aquifer faster than the recharge. (laughs) And so I was coming up with an alternative, less water intensive grazing system that can still be lucrative for producers in the Texas high plains. And so that was the main goal. And I had to come to terms with it and embrace it. And so I just looked at it from a systems approach, you know, um, how do these plants and animals interact with each other? How do they, how do those animal, how do these plants, um, what kind of impact do they have on the animals? Not with just gain, which is what we care about, but enteric sure. methane emissions. Like, let's talk environmental, you know? Um, and so the enteric methane emissions was um, very interesting um, coming from an animal science ruminant nutrition background. But I did never want to be a ruminant nutritionist. So I still got forced into doing that. <laughs> Honestly, it was fun. Like, sure. I, I pushed back at first. But then at the end, I was like, ah, they got me. Like, they knew <laughs> how to get to me. I was a recovering animal scientist. And they got me anyway. <laughs> and so I did. I did it, the enteric methane emissions. And that was fun. And then I got to help. Dr. Slaughter with her soil gas fluxes, which was super interesting. So, um, and then, you know, Billie Jean, that's the project that she's doing. And so I hope that I can continue doing those soil gas fluxes with them in her little group because sure. um, that's extremely interesting, you know. 
thinking about organisms you can't see and yeah. utilizing methane and they're utilizing methane that's coming out of these animals that we're so worried about impacting the environment and yeah so yeah and and again it's just there's so many levels of um complexity to these ecosystems and the these biological systems that uh I, I think for people wanting to get uh, so one one of the reasons we we do this show and I bring this up from um, time to time is that you know I think sometimes we do such a good job of giving information and knowledge to students right it's like here's the facts here's the things about things and maybe what we don't tell them is like okay but but where do you go from here right like what what do you study what other um, like avenues can you run down? And I think like just talking to you the past little bit, like even in just this one like corner of the green industry, the natural sciences industry, there are all these things you can do. There's all this fascinating biology you can study and ecology you can study. Uh, and and sometimes it's like, pick, I kind of love being in a field where the hardest thing sometimes is to pick what is the most interesting thing of all these interesting things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they got me, they got me. I think the most interesting thing about my project was probably the enteric methane emissions. Okay. Which, you know, was not the goal with the project <laughs> to be the most interesting thing, but it was the most labor intensive. <laughs> and now that, you know, Burger King has decided to come out with their controversial. Oh man. You know, feeding lemongrass to reduce methane emissions when UC Davis didn't even see a statistical difference. You know, it's just one of those where now I'm in that world uh-huh. and those scientists are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so much fun. Like it's so much fun to be in that world. It's so it, much fun to dip my toes into those things. And it's like, once you know about it, it's like, you cannot help but care. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I think like, it's, it's easy if you're uninformed for like that commercial to go by on TV and be like, oh, okay, whatever. But once you know even just a little bit, it's like a gateway science, right? Like you just yeah, get in it's just and like it's a like a gateway drug. Yeah, it's the gateway science. So I'm gonna, I will look at enteric. God, I will, I love cattle. I do, right. and I love ruminants. And you know that was that was my big thing when I went and got my master's degree because Tim loves ruminants, and so you know, he projected that onto me. So coming here, I was like, oh, I love them so much. But I thought I was just going to do grazing research. And then I was putting PVC pipe around their neck and strapping it on them for a week. And I was like, yes, breathe <laughs> for me. Yes. <laughs> I want to know what that burp is. Tell me. Oh my God. That's is there amazing. nitrous oxide? No, there's not. That's right. <laughs> and so it's just, oh, so much fun. It just, it really, they did. They got me. That's, that's pretty amazing. That part of my project, I got conned into that because it was, oh, it's not that much work. And oh, (laughs) you you know, it won't take you that much time. And yeah. So for all of you out there listening, that's a trap. If you are told, (laughs) oh, it's just a little work. This won't add much. Don't, don't believe them. (laughs) They're lying to you. (laughs) It took, oh, there were, there were some people that were very upset with that project just because of how much labor it took. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot. A lot of man hours. Yeah. A lot of man hours. I mean, I would, I woke up at four o'clock every morning and I would get home about 10 o'clock every night before I could lay my head down. It was probably 11 or midnight and started over 10 days, twice a summer. And, um, (laughs) it was, and that was just, that was just the actual collection period. I mean, I had to build everything I strapped onto those animals. Yeah. 
in another, you know, like that blew my mind because I have the standards to build these PVC pipes for. And like the whole time I'm thinking, who came up with this method? <laughs> like who was smart enough to put a PVC canister on an animal with a negative pressure that's going to take a sample of their breath for 24 hours. And then we're going to run that through a GC. Yeah. And then we're going to see what they were expelling for that 24 hour period. Like that's way above my pay grade. Oh, that's, that's never wild, right? Yeah. It's wild. There are some smarter people out there than me. (laughs) I'm just thinking of like the, the, the pitch meeting, right? Where the scientist like sits down in front of his, you know, peers or whatever. And was like, y'all, I have an idea. Uh, (laughs) They're just like, what? And then I I think of the poor grad student that at one point was told, hey, I've got this thing I want you to figure out. Um, (laughs) So you're going to go need to go catch a cow. What? I, I need you to strap this to this animal. And just, and just sure see that... what happens. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. That's really great. Like somebody was just, and then, you know, total fecal collections. Let's just put a whole bag on their back end. Yeah, sure. Why not? And it's like, how did you design that for them so, to not rip it off? Right. So essentially you've got a cow with like a diaper and uh, a breath, a breathalyzer uh, running around a field and all his friends are like, what and they're grazing, yeah. And they and they're so smart. Like they know how to take it off. That was what really oh, wow. made me mad. I'd be like, please put it on the dumbest animals we have. Because <laughs> if not, we're not gonna have a good week and I'm not gonna have a good collection period. Because they would, they would like grab the end of that and they'd be like, if I put this on the fence and pull, I'll just, you know, snap the plastic in half and just make it explode. Yeah. And you could see like there was a few of them that were like, Yeah, as they did that. <laughs> Like, and take off running yeah and you're just like oh yeah that that one that one cow comes back into the herd and they're like what did you do <laughs> what are you like <laughs> like why did, are you so excited how did that happen have you seen sally oh my goodness um <laughs> anyway oh that's funny um that you know that there's so there's so much there I feel like I could talk about cows wearing headgear for quite a while. But um, um, so just to kind of start wrapping up a little bit, one thing I ask uh, all of my guests that come in, and, and if you need a second to think about that, this, because again, I didn't prep you for it, um, that's fine. But if there was a piece of advice you could give out, whether that is like to a student or to just anyone, it, it can it can be about your study. It can be about really whatever you want. Um, what, what advice would you like our listeners to kind of take home with them? Oh, well, I, I think, and this is, um, this is probably more for just anybody, but the only person holding you back in life is you. And that's with any goal that you set. The only, the only person who's going to tell you, you can't do something is you. If yeah. you want to do something, you will find a way to do that, whatever that may be. So, yeah. and that's anything, you know, financially, um, it seems like so many students are coming out of college with so much student debt and, um, and they think, oh, well, I can't, you know, I, I can't go through school without pulling out student loans. And that might be in some instances, but really the only person that's really stopping you from achieving anything is 
going to be you by yourself. Yeah. And I, I hate to say that, but I do, I sit back a lot and I read where people just say, Oh, that's impossible to do. And it's not impossible at all to do it. Yeah. You just can't sleep for a while yeah, in order sure. to achieve it. <laughs> like, so it's one of those, what, I mean, what, what means more to you sleep or, or that family goal time you're chasing. Yeah. or that goal you're chasing. So that's probably the biggest advice. And there's, and with that, I have to be reminded of all of the people who made those sacrifices along the way with me, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I, I have no debt and I worked three jobs with my master's degree on top of getting my master's degree, which is what took me so long to get a master's degree. Sure. Um, and then, you know, I still worked a side job while I was getting the PhD. And so, I mean, there were a lot of people that made sacrifices. My family was one of them. You know, sure. they couldn't see me as often. I couldn't go home and see mom and dad as much. And so yeah. a lot of people made sacrifices, including my dogs. So, <laughs> <laughs> Think of the dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, no, did. I agree though. I agree. There's, there's, um, you know, we don't, we don't, any of us exist in a vacuum, um, in, in life or in academia. And, and sometimes it's easy for, I think us as we're kind of struggling through this process to kind of insulate, right. And be like, no, I'm, I, I, you know, I have to just bear down and just do it myself. But there's the people that, uh, hold us up through the whole process that, that pay a lot of the dues along with us. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely feel that as well, but, um, Gosh, that was, I really enjoyed that. I could talk about this for a long time. Um, uh, and I, we may have to talk again sometime about okay. cows. But, um, because yeah. I, I really Cow like personalities, cows. they're hilarious. I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, I like cows. Um, so are there, I mean, I don't, is there, is there anything you want to plug? Normally I give my guests the chance to like, if you want people to find you on social media to tell them where, if you don't, that's okay too. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, I I have that Facebook page that I really haven't been like keeping up with. <laughs> um, but it, I I've been uh, what is it called? Hold on. Let me see if I can I don't even remember what my page is called. I think it's the eco- <laughs> I think it's the ecological academic and I'm planning on like getting on there and being able to post more soon. Okay. Um cuz I really like I you know, I was going to start like a blog. Yeah. And then that didn't go over so well. Yeah, the ecological academic. That's my Facebook page okay. that I've been not keeping up with. But people can go follow me. I think I have like five followers. There you right go. Now. Well, maybe you'll pick up a few more. Uh, yeah, well, this. and with my master's degree, I had a fan page for Tim and it was amazing. And we got all <laughs> kinds of people that just love to follow Tim. And I was like, oh, I'll start one too. So it is Kermit the Frog and he does have a black shirt on that says, take me to your cedar. <laughs> so that, that is the page. That's. <laughs> I love that so much. And it, with a match. It's the, it has a match and it says, take me to your cedar. Yeah. To burn down the cedar trees. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I so, dig it. Yeah. Woody species encroachment. It's a real problem on the high plains. It's on those trees. I know. <laughs> trees and shrubs. I know. Trees and shrubs. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So if you come across the ecological academic, it is Kermit, and he does have the the famous "Take me to your cedar." It's fantastic. That's fantastic. So. Well, Kat, I really appreciate you talking to me. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, 
So uh, I wish you all the best in your uh, interviews and all the 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 posts, the, the sleeping, getting the sleep. Because the whole that. thing, my whole thing now is now that you know unemployment is approaching on me come September first. Um, <laughs> I always just like went back to school when I thought I was going to be unemployed. <laughs> yeah, now no, I've done the same like, thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, at, I know. I'm at the end of that rope. So what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you should you should go into business like actually you know building and selling cow breath collectors. You know how to do it. Maybe I or maybe I could really get on that blog and make some money. But you there know, you it's just writing papers right now. So I hear you. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much again. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. I think I hope you had as much fun with that as I did, because I I really enjoyed that. And uh, we will talk to you next time. All right. Thanks. See you later. Bye, Vic. If you're having a rough day, at the very least, just be grateful that no one has had to build a plastic contraption to strap onto your neck to evaluate the contents of your lunch. Y'all, thanks so much for listening. I really enjoyed that episode. I could talk about grasslands and prairies a lot. I think they're important, and I think it's something that we need to be spending more uh, time discussing and more time focusing on. Thanks so much, as always, to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting and sponsoring the show and uh, just giving me the freedom to do it and to talk to so many really cool plant people. I hope all of you out there listening are still doing well. I know the world is exploding and crazy and weird, but y'all, it is still beautiful. Cows are still hilarious and smart, and there are things that are still worth living for and fighting for, and I don't want you to ever forget that. You people hang in there, and uh, we will all get through this. Um, Find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, search for Planthropology. It's Anthropology with a PL slapped haphazardly on the front. And uh, look for the little green background with the little white tree, and that'll be me. Uh, Again, rate, review. Uh, If you want to support the show, hit us up at patreon.com slash planthropology. Join the Planthropology's Cool Plant People Facebook group. It's a lot of fun, and the folks in that group really live up to their name. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, Stick around after the credits again for uh, trailers from Plants and Pie Pets as well as the Bald Scientist podcast. And join me back here, same bat time, same bat channel, for uh, episode 27 where we will talk about the wild world of algae. You guys keep being cool and listen to these trailers starting in five, four, three, two, one, go. Do you like plants? Like really, really like them? Do you wish you could get a glimpse at how they work on the inside, how they grow, flower, avoid problems like drought and heat, and how they defend themselves against attacks? Well, we do too. That's why we at Plants and Pipettes explore the fascinating inner workings of plant molecular biology in our podcast and on our blog. Did you know that bumblebees can control the flowering time of plants by gently biting on them? Or that soap bubbles are great for plant pollination? We are Tegan and Yoram, two plant scientists who escaped the lab to bring you the hot new research without all the scientific jargon. Plus, we talk about topics of diversity and equality in the academic system. And bring fun science facts from the last week. Oh, and we talk about cats. And sometimes also we rant. 
You can read our stuff on plantsandpipettes.com or search for Plants and Pipettes in your favorite podcast app. Plants and Pipettes, we, we talk, talk plant science. science. This is the Bold Scientist Podcast, where we talk about science, from the factual to the fictional, and sometimes a bit of both. With me, your host, Dr. One R. Pagan. For more information, please go to boldscientist.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.